We gather to worship God, to draw near to him, to fix our eyes on him and express our love for him. We are busy in the, during the week and we, we can get distracted and we can forget that God is there, God is with us and that, that he is the love of our life. He's the core, he's the center, he's the reason why we exist, it's, it's the reason, he's the reason we live, it's the reason why we do what we do. And we also come to hear the word of the Lord so that our minds can be washed by the word, so that our minds can be renewed. We've been, we studied in uh, Romans chapter 12 that we want our minds to be renewed, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. We come here to have our minds changed by the word. And, uh, and so Gordy's message last week on Isaiah 58 was kind of an example of that not happening. Not that the people weren't going to the temple, but their minds weren't being transformed. It was an example of, of kind of fake love, just kind of going through the motions. And how did he, how did Isaiah, or God really through Isaiah, how did he describe this fake love? Said, uh, he, he showed it by showing that their hearts had not been changed, that their lives did not bear witness that they were really drawing near to God. If you really draw near to God, their lives would bear witness. If we review a couple of the verses that Gordy shared with us, uh, looking first at, at uh, Isaiah 58, 1 and 2, it says, Shout with a voice of a trumpet blast. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day. They seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation, that they would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. But how do they live? How do they live in midst of this fasting and going to the temple daily? Verses three and four said that they uh, fasted to please themselves, they oppressed the workers, and they fought with each other. That was their, their expression of, of spending time with God. That's, that's how much they were really drawing near God, um, this ignorant act or, or foolish attempt to deceive God, whichever one it was, um, was considered a sin against God. And the wicked ways that they lived uh, were a result of hearts that were not truly surrendered to God. They wanted God's blessing, but they didn't really love him. Have you ever heard the expression that uh, um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery? Well, if they loved God, if we love God, then we should desire to be more like him. We should desire to be imitators of Christ. But rather than showing a God-like love, uh, uh, showing patience, showing mercy, showing grace, the kind of things that they had received from God, instead of having their hearts changed to be more like God, they acted angrily and abusively. In our study of Romans in chapter 12, we read uh, in verses 9 and 10, it said, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. In the middle of these two exhortations to love, we find a verse that maybe seems a little bit out of place. It says, Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. 
If we are to love God well, we will become like him, not just in the good that we do, but also in abhorring what is evil. And what does it mean to abhor? It sounds like an awful word, doesn't it? Abhor. Like, I don't know, I kind of get this. <laughs> abhor, I don't know. It sounds, it sounds like a bad thing, and it is. Uh, one of the definitions of abhor is to hate extremely, with contempt, to loathe, to detest, to, uh, to abominate. God abhorred the way that Israel was living. He told Isaiah, shout with the voice of a trumpet. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people of their sins. Today we hear a lot of people talk about uh, intolerance as if it's a negative trait. It's a criticism oftentimes pointed at Christians or people with conservative viewpoints. They say, uh, you're intolerant in kind of a, a chastising tone that you're intolerant. But don't be fooled. Intolerance is not always wrong. Intolerance is not always wrong. Even hate is not always wrong. Sounds weird to say, but hate is not always wrong. We're not to hate people. We're not even supposed to hate our enemies. But the Bible is full of instruction to hate. Even God hates. Uh, here's just one example of it. In Proverbs 8.13 it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. We are not to tolerate evil or sinful behavior. And that begins in our own lives. It's easy uh, for us to start by looking at the world around us and picking out, you know, all of the, uh, the big sins that we see and not, and not look inwardly first. But we have to consider uh, what have we allowed in our lives, what have we decided is not really a sin that's that bad. It's not really that bad. Um, we've become kind of maybe comfortable with, with some sort of sin. Paul's primary call, as we've read through Romans chapter 12, has been, by the mercies of God, present your lives, uh, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. To present our bodies holy and acceptable to God. Holy, that's a God standard. You know, we can look around and we can feel good compared to the standard of the world, but holiness, that is a God standard. It's separate from all evil. It's separate from all sin. Not just the really bad ones. We can be tempted to do the same as the Israelites did and just kind of go through the motions. Not dealing with sinful attitudes or behaviors. Another uh, definition of abhor means to cast off or to reject. Israel had added fasting but was not abhorring evil. Now why did they do that? Why, why do we do that sometimes? Is it because the good things in our lives are seen by others and the bad things are maybe not so obvious? Is it maybe because we have a genuine desire to add good things to our lives? It comes from a good place, but we also kind of desire to keep that bad habit, that, that sin that God has kind of been uh, working on us and convicting us of. Um, our desires are conflicted. We have a desire for good, but we also have this peace that we haven't let go of yet. When we turn from our sin and experience God's 
love and mercy, it should drive us to do the same thing. It should drive us to show love and mercy to others, to be an imitator of God, to live a holy life, to rid ourselves of all appearances of evil, any, anything that is evil in our lives. In Romans 12, we read about loving fellow Christians. That was the first thing, like always being ready to uh, help the, the saints that are in need. Then we, we read about hospitality, treating strangers as friends. And then uh, we talked about um, even showing kindness to our enemies, that we should do good things for them, basically show them hospitality, treat them as friends, even though they're enemies, um, and, and even praying for them. Now, today, this same sort of thought carries on and goes one step further, further than loving our enemies, submitting to the government. Chapter 12 ended by giving us these examples of showing kindness, you know, like I said, all this hospitality stuff. And it's the same sort of exhortation that he's saying we need to look at the government not with an evil, not with uh, a desire to, to um, get revenge, to retaliate against, to have vengeance against, to, to, um, to disregard or dishonor, but that we should treat them uh, with honor and respect. The last verse that we read uh, in verse 21 said, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil, evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When we talked about uh, showing kindness to our enemies, the hope was is that by showing kindness to our enemies that it may influence them to change. And that's the same sort of idea that we have in, in why we show respect and honor to the government, which we're going to read shortly that we might influence them, that we might have the opportunity um, to persuade. Our enemies are obviously not perfect. Otherwise, they wouldn't be our enemies, right? Um, but we're encouraged to show kindness to them. The same goes for the government. Government is not perfect. So let's start by reading today's text in full. We're going to be reading all the way from uh, Romans 13, verses 1, all the way through verse 7. Then we're going to go back and we're going to look at three main points. So Romans 13, 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without the fear of authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong, so you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government, government workers need to be paid. There are, they are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Sometimes when I read the verses, I get an amen at the end, but... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Uh, yeah, it's hard. Uh, now, I don't know the context of why Paul exactly is, is addressing submission to this group of people. I don't know if it's because the government uh, is persecuting Christians, and so it's causing them to want to retaliate. That's human nature, right? To, to want to get back, to, to want to stop listening to them because they're not being nice to me. Um, uh, it could be that. Uh, it could be the influence of Jewish zealots. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the zealots, but they um, were becoming much more active at this time, just um, within the last decade or so before this was written. Uh, Judea had become officially a province of Rome, and so it kind of stirred them into action. The zealots were a group of Jews that were very opposed to Roman rule, or really any rule, any king, any ruler that was not of a descendant of Abraham. Um, to have anybody like that over them was something they were against. So they refused to pay taxes. Um, they attacked those who were supportive of Rome. Even fellow Jews that they felt were supporting Rome, they would attack. And so um, it could be a little bit of influence of, of these, these Jewish zealots that were becoming more uh, prominent again during this time. Uh, it could even be that some new Christians were just kind of confused on how to respond to emperors and leaders who saw themselves as gods among men and wondering how do you balance, you know, uh, having God and also having this, this leader that claims to be a god and, and do I honor him? Like, that seems wrong. And, and so they're just, um, maybe, maybe that's why he's addressing it. But whatever the reason is, Paul is applying the same type of exhortations that we read in chapter 12, um, but now they're directed towards those in authority over us. Um, a little context to keep in mind, because sometimes as we read scriptures, we can, we can put it uh, to where we are in this time and this place, but this was written to people in a different time and a different place. Uh, we live in a government that was founded on godly principles. And so there is some, some good in our government. There's some, there's some good foundational things there. Now, that was not the case for Rome. Rome was not based on a Judeo-Christian you know, foundation. They were based off of uh, pagan beliefs. They worshiped pagan gods. They were very evil from the foundation, um, from what they, you know, where they got their, their beliefs from. Um, and so, but, but Paul still encourages us, God still encourages them through Paul to submit to them. <clears throat> to, uh, he said to submit to them. He said, uh, do what is right, keep a clear conscience, pay your tax, and give respect and honor to those who are in the authority. So even in the face of a tyrannical, wicked government, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, why would God instruct us to submit to imperfect and sometimes godless leaders? Why would he instruct us to submit to that type of leaders? There's three reasons that we find in this passage that talk about why we submit to them. Uh, first, they've been placed there by God. Second, they have the power to punish you. And third, they're God's servant sent for your good. So we're going to look into to each one of those and see, see if we can uh, understand them a little bit more fully. Uh, then we're going to close with a couple exceptions to the rule. Okay, there's some <laughs> caveats. 
All right. Uh, the first reason God instructed us to submit to government authorities is that they have been placed by God. They've been placed by God. Uh, Romans 3, verse 1, we read, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Jesus demonstrated this in John chapter 19 when he was standing before Pontius Pilate, the man who was going to sentence him to be crucified. Right? Pilate was questioning Jesus, and he said to him, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or the power to crucify you? And then in verse 11, we read, and then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Now, Jesus did not say, you have no authority over me because what you are doing is sinful. He didn't say that. Jesus knew that Pilate had been placed where he was to do what he was doing under the sovereign authority of the Father. God had allowed him to be in that position at that time to do what he was doing to accomplish God's greater purpose for the, for the world, for humanity, for us, so that we might be saved. When we look at uh, several of the leaders today, we can... Uh, have kind of a hard time wanting to respect or honor them. It seems as though they have not uh, done actions that deserve or would earn our respect. They have actually taken actions that are direct attacks against God's word. But we are not called to honor and respect them for what they have done, but because God, for a time, has put them in the place that they're in. He's allowed them to be where they are. And so we honor them because God has placed them there. Just because a government official is sinning does not necessarily mean that we should not submit to them. For their wicked ways may be used to accomplish something good. That doesn't mean that we support what they're doing. It doesn't mean that we encourage them to do wicked things. But it means that we submit to them and um, allow God to use them for whatever purpose he might have for them. If we hope to have any positive effect or any positive interaction with them, it's going to be through blessing them and honoring them rather than cursing them. It's, it's going to be through offering them honey, not vinegar. If the government is acting as an enemy, let our honor be like what we read back in chapter 12, let it be burning coals of shame upon their head. Let our response of, of, of submission be something that, that, that causes them to reevaluate how they view Christians, that they, that they would regret their actions because of our good works, our good actions, our kindness towards them. God is sovereign. He allows and and he appoints and he uses those in authority. And even when they don't recognize it, even when the authority doesn't recognize that God is God and is in control, God is in control. We look in the Old Testament, we look at Pharaoh. As Pharaoh was holding the Israelites captive, even as God was desiring to release them, um, Pharaoh saw himself as a God. He, he vocally defied God 
and placed himself as higher than God. And, uh, and in Romans 9.17, it says, I have appointed you, speaking of Pharaoh, he said, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you to spread my fame throughout the earth. So the very guy who was defying God, who saw himself as a God, uh, who was imprisoning his people, he was using to accomplish his purposes. God is in control. God is in control. We oftentimes look at the direction of this nation and we can think that everything is out of control. And maybe out of our control, we may not be able to control it, but nothing is out of God's control. We don't know how God will use what leader to benefit his kingdom. And if God wants to remove that person, he will. He can and he will. But we have to remember that it's God's primary objective is not this kingdom, it's his kingdom. And sometimes we can get a distorted view of whether or not God is accomplishing something good because we're looking at, at the, the temporal and not at the eternal. The second reason uh, why we should submit to the government, it's kind of a practical reason, kind of an obvious, logical sort of reason. They have the power to punish you. They have the power to punish you. Um, if we look back at verse 4 again, he says in uh, Romans 13, 4, the authorities are God's servant sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. They have, for they have the power to punish you. They have the power to punish you. There is wisdom in treating those in authority with respect and honor. It's, it's wise. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like um, choosing not to mouth off to somebody who's a lot bigger than you. you know? <laughs> not that you should, should mouth off to people, but you, know, you, you don't want to get the big guy mad at you um, because he can punish you. Okay, so uh, now later in verse 5, it says we shouldn't only do this to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. But not getting in trouble with the law is generally a good thing, generally a positive. Now, uh, later, oh, backwards, verse 3, I should say, if we go back one verse, um, it said, Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. If you want to live without fear of authorities, do what is right. Now, if you are doing what is right, if you're doing what's right according to the law of God and still getting punished for it, we should still continue doing what is right in the eyes of God. Uh, we recognize that God is a higher authority and we fear him above earthly authorities. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more later, but uh, Jesus in Matthew 10, 28 says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot touch the soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Avoiding punishment is a good reason to submit as long as it does not cause you to sin. All right, so third reason, third reason to submit to government, and this one maybe is a hard, hard to swallow at first, is that they are God's servant sent for your good. They're God's servant sent for your good. We maybe not, don't always see them as being for our good, but they are sent for your good. Um, says that they are God's servant 
sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Now, we've already looked at how God can use um, and has used wicked rulers in like specific instances to accomplish specific goals and tasks. But even just in general, governments have a purpose and they are used to keep order and to punish those who do wrong um, so that we're not living in a lawless land. If you uh, look at the atrocities committed back, back in like the 1800s when we had people moving out west and these wagon trains were raided by, um, by raiding parties and by band- they were attacked by bandits, uh, we can see what happens when there's no government authority uh, that is present, that is active, organized, and funded to go and quelch this sort of lawlessness. More recently, in 2020, we heard cries of people saying to defund the police. Well, at the same time as they were crying for this, we saw what happened when the police were held back and the lawlessness prevailed and buildings burned and citizens and police were injured and murdered. During those riots in 2020, the government had pulled back its hand. They weren't doing They weren't accomplishing the purpose that they were established for, to punish those who were doing wrong. They were not arresting, and those they did arrest, they let right back out on the streets. They were not fulfilling their purpose. God has not established human government for the purpose of Christianizing the world. The the government of the United States is not meant to Christianize the world, but it is placed to suppress evil and maintain some semblance of justice and to care for the oppressed. That God has created it for a purpose or allowed it for a purpose, placed people in authority for that purpose. We don't agree with everything that the government does, but it is a blessing to our lives. If we really stop and think about what it would be like without the government, it is a blessing to our lives to have some law and order, especially in this land we, we're generally... Uh, protected for the most part where we, especially where we live, we feel um, some amount of peace and freedom because of the government. The lack of government in most cases would be far worse than the presence. All right, so God calls us to submit to government authorities because they've been placed by God, they have the power to punish you, and they are servants sent for your good. Now for the exceptions to the rules, the part, the part you've all been waiting for. Within the text, we read that the government's purpose is for good, right? But what do we do when the government wants us to submit to something that is evil? Do we still submit to authority? The answer is, we always submit to authority, but we submit to the highest authority. We always submit to authority, but we submit to the highest authority. If you look at the army, if a sergeant gives an order and a major says, stand down, the soldier stands down. If a general walks by and says, disregard what the major said, you listen to the general. You, you listen to the highest authority. God is our highest authority. If he's given a specific uh, instruction that, that contradicts what a lower, lower authority is saying, then we don't submit to that lower authority. If the law seems like bad policy, but it's not sinful, you comply. Then with with our trust in God, that he's in control, 
Uh, we, we submit and we just believe that he's going to work out for good, that he's going to care for us regardless of, of whether this policy is, is good or bad or indifferent. Um, but if the government is asking us to defy God's laws, then we have the right to, we have the, we have the responsibility, we have, the, we, we, we have to follow what God says. God is God and, uh, and we fear him above man. If we're, if we're going to base it off of uh, the, the second reason to follow, to, to submit, um, God is, is, has a higher level of punishment than what the, what the world does. And we see uh, examples of this throughout Scripture, of where this type of um, refusing to submit was honored by God. Daniel refused to stop praying, and God rescued him from the lions. If, if, it, if it wasn't something that was good for him to do, God probably wouldn't have rescued him. But he was doing what was right in God's eyes, and God delivered him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship an idol, and God saved them from the fire. Peter and John did not submit to the high priest and the officials uh, when they ordered them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And then when they were arrested, an angel of the Lord came into the prison at night, set them free, led them out of the prison, and told them to keep on preaching. He told them to defy what the earthly authorities were saying. Moses would have never been able to lead the Israelites or, or been used by God to lead the Israelites out of Israel, out of Egypt, I should say, if it were not for the midwives refusing to submit to Pharaoh's law to kill the baby boys. God is the highest authority. When you see something as morally corrupt that is against God's law, then we, we have to disobey the earthly authority. We may well come into conflict with governing authorities, but we don't need to go looking for it. Some people go and they're looking for a chance to bark back kind of in a dishonoring way at the government, which is not really going to, I mean, when have you ever won somebody over by yelling at them? You know, there's a way to influence and there's ways not to influence. We read in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, we read that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it is possible, live peaceably with all. There may come a time where it's not possible. There may come a time when it's not possible. Jesus, when he was sending out his disciples, he was sending them out, empowering them to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And he said to them in Matthew 16 uh, through 18, said, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. You know, when we look at uh, examples of when they were arrested and brought before kings and rulers, they still addressed them as your majesty or noble festus. They, they used um, honoring terms when they talked to them uh, to try and sway them, to try and have some influence in them. Uh, they did not act in a dishonoring way to those who were in authority. They didn't obey everybody who's in authority, but they acted in an honoring way to those that God had placed in authority. Today in other countries, 
there's Christians that suffer this type of persecution when they're caught speaking the name of Jesus. In this country, more and more, we see laws shifting in a way that are geared specifically to persecute Christians. And so we may have to become more shrewd in how we, how we speak and how we operate, being careful, um, not, not stepping back from saying the truth, but using wisdom in how we do it. This shift in government policies is not just about godless leaders. It's not just about people and their plans. This is a spiritual attack against the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's not new. This is not a new thing that, that laws would be created in a way that would specifically target Christians. We look back at uh, Daniel. Before he got thrown in the lion's den, they were trying to figure out how to get him thrown in the lion's den. It says uh, his enemies wanted to attack them, attack him, and this is what they concluded in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. It says, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find, but they could find no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor there any error or fault found in him. Daniel had obeyed the governing authorities. These were, these were evil Babylonian authorities. These were uh, the people that attacked and en enslaved Israel. But he honored them and he served them well and they could find no fault in him. And he remained in a place of influence because of that. But... Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, going on to the next verse, says, These men said, we shall, find, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Unless we find it in him concerning the law of his God. So with that, mi that in mind, they tricked the king into signing into law something that would ban Daniel from praying to God. It was a law that Daniel would not be able to follow because he had committed from a young age to seeking God in prayer three times a day and he was not going to stand down from serving God first. The enemy is at work in our nation and in other nations around the world to implement laws that specifically challenge the law of God. Submitting to government authority does not mean that we should not uh, being as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, that we should not stand up and speak out against evil. It doesn't mean that. We still should do that. We just have to do it with wisdom and we have to do it with innocence. Not doing what is wrong, but speaking the truth in the right way. When Daniel was young, a young captive in Babylon, um, he immediately earned the respect of the person who was set in charge of him to watch over him. And when they tried to get these young Israelite boys to eat food that was forbidden by God's law for Jewish people to eat, he went and asked for permission to abstain from those foods. And when he was given, um, uh, not, when he was not given that right originally, he went to another person and he asked again if, he, if they could abstain from those foods. He started by acting honorably and, and honoring in a, in a respectful way, trying to influence those in charge to avoid sinful behavior. 
In the end, I believe he wouldn't have followed what they said anyways, but he started from a, from a place of uh, showing them honor, and they, he was able to influence them. So what should we do? <clears throat> we should submit, do what's right, uh, keep a clear conscience, pay our taxes, give respect and honor to those who God has placed in authority. By doing so, we keep open avenues of influence so that when we need to take a stand, we might be heard. We may not uh, individually, most of us are not going to have the opportunity to influence major world leaders or, or even people, national leaders in this country, we, but we may be able to influence school board members or city council members. Uh, we may not be able to influence the government individually, but as Christians as a whole, if we're living out what the Word of God is teaching and we're um, being peaceful, we're showing hospitality to strangers, uh, even loving our enemies, it's going to make it a lot harder for the government or the culture at large to paint us as hateful and deplorable people if we're out doing good and seeking peace. And what else should we do in the face of a government that seems to be turning against godly values? A very simple thing that we can do is vote. Use the rights afforded to you to speak out. Like There's, there's nothing uh, disrespectful in using your right to vote. So use the rights afforded to you to make as much difference as you can. Support what is good, what is godly, by voting for leaders that would support laws that are godly, that are God-honoring. What else should we do? Uh, we should not shy away from peacefully yet confidently speaking out and saying the truth, uh, whether it's with friends or family. Um, we need to speak truth into a dark world. We need to speak truth in the face of lies. The world needs to know that, that, that it's not okay, that, that it is sin, that, that, it is, that it's evil, some of the things that are being called good today. There was a quote that was attributed to a Nazi propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, um, that goes like this. He says, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. But then he goes on to say, the lie can only be maintained for such a time as the state can shield people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its power to repress dissent. And this is the key part. For truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. So we've seen this played out in real time in, uh, in one uh, avenue in our, in our country today. Uh, when we look at the southern border, um, you know, we've been told that, uh, that it's loving to leave the border open, that it's, you know, it's the, the end result is good and, and peaceful and, and everybody's going to be happy and it's a, the utopian way of life. Um, we've also been told that it's not open. The border's actually closed. There's no problem down there. There's no, no issue. Don't look. Um, but now the truth is becoming more and more evident and the results of this kind of lawlessness that's happening on our border is becoming more defined. And when this truth comes out, now there's going to have to be some changes. And 
little late. The truth didn't come out. It wasn't spoken. It wasn't spread uh, far enough, fast enough. And now we're going to be living with some of the consequences of those actions for who knows how long down the line. Now, our goal is not to worry about this country first, but God's kingdom first. It's not about the border, um, but it's about this country's moral compass. It's about the salvation of the people in this nation that are being turned towards darkness, calling evil good and good evil. And, uh, and it is our job as Christians to speak the light of truth to them, that they would hear the good news and that they would turn from their wicked ways and receive salvation. We have to speak out. A song from my youth uh, said these words, Choose ye this day, tell me who will you serve? Now's the time to stand up. Got to let your voice be heard. You've got to come out from among the rest. You've got to tell the gospel tale. You tell them black is black and white is white and hell is hot and sin ain't right and God is holy and Christ is coming and righteousness will prevail. Goes on and says, I tell it to you once, I tell it to you twice. The only thing that's going to change this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wimpy saints won't prevail in spiritual warfare. If you know that Jesus is the only way, let me hear somebody yell, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you don't all want to yell, yeah, but we have to say something. We have to speak the truth. We have to tell of the good works that God has done in our lives and for the world. Isaiah was told by God, shout with a trumpet blast, shout aloud, don't be timid, tell my people of their sins. Of their sins. Intolerance for sin is not hate for people. Intolerance of sin is not hate for people. Intolerance of sin is, and telling them is actually love. Telling them that hell is hot and sin ain't right is love because there's consequences. This portion of scripture that we just covered in Romans had been used in the past wrongly to silence Christians uh, from speaking out against the evil that the government's doing. They felt they were told that they were supposed to submit and so they couldn't speak out. And that is not what this is saying saying that we should, we should treat them like we would our enemies, that we should, we should treat them well, but that doesn't mean that we do, we don't stand there and, and, uh, and ask our enemies to hurt us. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do what our enemies ask us to do. We show kindness, we show respect, but we honor God first and foremost. And God asks us to speak out, to shout aloud that, that sin is evil and God is holy and there's a judgment coming and redemption is needed. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would first convict us of any sin in our lives. Anything that is keeping us from walking in holiness before you, anything that is uh, hindering us uh, from hearing your voice, uh, hearing your calling on our lives, um, to feeling confident to be your voice to the people. 
those little sins in our life can make us feel ashamed or not worthy of speaking out. Lord, I pray that you would make us holy, make us acceptable, help us to um, change our lives to, to be a reflection of who you are. Help us to draw near to you in a genuine way where we, we love you to a degree that we become imitators of you. Lord, I pray as we demonstrate the love that you show us to the world around us that we would gain influence in people's lives, that they would hear what we have to say, that they would hear us when we speak the truth of your word to them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a right view of government, that in honoring those that you've placed in authority, uh, we would not only gain influence with them, Lord, but that we would also um, change the, the, the way that we're perceived by the world at large, that we would be um, recognized as those who have integrity, who walk in love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to shine in this dark world, sharing your truth, exposing that evil is evil and good is good, and you are God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We seek God and strive to impact our nation to be holy and to honor God so that God will bless this nation. But the future of the United States is secondary to us as Christians. It's secondary to us. It's not our final home. It's not our primary residence. We can continue to have hope even when we see this nation in moral decline, knowing that the kingdom of God is under no threat. And God is able to heal our land. It may take times like what we're facing today to wake up Christians, to go and speak out against evil and see hearts changed. We continue to raise up prayers for our leaders. We try to honor them, but we speak the truth in the process. But from the text today, we're encouraged to thank God for the blessings of our government. I drove here this morning and I was driving down the road and I thought, you know, the government put in this road. You know, this is a blessing. I'm driving, I'm not really afraid that I'm going to have, you know, rogue bandits come, you know, block off the road and, and, and steal from me and kill me. Like, we live in a safe place because God has blessed us with a government that has set up provisions for us. So thank God for our government. Thank God for the good things that we receive from him. We can pray that our government can be better, but we can also thank God for what he's given to us. So thank God for the blessing of the government. Pray for our leaders and stand up for the truth of God's word, always submitting to the highest authority. Amen? Amen.